Requesting connection. Established. Encrypted. We're live. The show you've been asking for. Advice, technology, and community. Linux first, all others second. This is Ask Noah. Live from Scale 16X, the show that puts you the listener in the driver's seat because you are the content. The phone lines are open to be a part of the program. It's a free call. 1-855-450-NOAH. That's 1-855-450-6624. Hey, give me a call. We'll have a conversation about your tech questions or business and tech questions. Linux advocate, above all else, small business owner, now host of the only radio show centered around you, the listener. Welcome to the Ask Noah Show. My name is Noah Chalais. So good afternoon. We are live from the Southern California Linux Expo. Joining me again this hour is owner and operator of Jupiter Broadcasting, Mr. Chris Fisher. Hey, Chris, welcome hey, back to the program. Hey, buddy. Thank you for having me here. Are you happy to be here? Very. This has been a good one. It's been fun, and it's been really great to get a, a sense of the vibe that's going on here, meet, yeah. walking around, meeting with people. Yeah. And I want to be clear to people that are listening to the show. I have had a number of you come up to me and say, yeah, I, I, I heard you were doing that that live episode from here, there, or wherever, and I didn't want to call in because I was afraid that uh, I was going to be interrupting something. And that's not the case. The listener drives the show. And that means that we, phone calls come first on the show. So if you give me a call at one 450 noah that's one 450 6624 Of course, our email, live at com. You can be a part of the program even while we're here. At scale, if that wasn't the case, I would we I mean we'd just pre-record it and we you know we wouldn't do it live. So, you guys are the content. We'd love to take your calls. Now, we have some really exceptional audio coming up for you later in the program. We had a chance to meet up with a lot of industry leaders, and we've been working our butts off trying to really dig into the personalities that have made this conference great. We've had an incredible reception, and it's been really great to meet and hang out with all of you that have been here for lunch or been here for dinner or just sat around and had drinks with us. Today is the second to last day of the event, and I would say it's definitely the biggest, and I think we've really gathered some fantastic audio, and so that's coming up later in the program. Uh, Nathan Haynes is going to join us from the Ubuntu, the Loco here in California. You're also going to hear from Ted Gould, who was one of the founders of Inkscape, and I have to tell you, when I spoke uh, with Ted and with Nathan, I... I can't help but start to geek out with these people because these people are fundamentally responsible for making some of the software that I use on a daily basis. And so to be able to sit down with them and ask them their motivation and talk to them about their opinions and dedication to Linux and hear their very encouraging and exciting answers, that's, that's been probably the best part. But I want to go back and talk uh, briefly about something we talked about last week. We got a call from a lady and she was asking how she could get content to her phone, music content, her mm-hmm. library. Yeah. And uh, we came up with a couple different solutions. None of them were really ideal. And afterwards, as the audience typically does, I had people writing into me and they were saying, Noah, you got to tell her about Tanito. You got to talk about Tanito. Tanito is, is the answer to what she's doing. I have that same problem and I use Tanito. Tanito, huh? Tanito. And I'd not heard of Tanito. And frankly, the first couple people that wrote in, I looked at what Tanito was. I went to Tanito's website at tanito.com and it said it's a private file access syncing service for home or business. Well, the truth is, if it's a self-hosted thing, I'd rather be using C-File, and if it's not a self-hosted thing, I'd rather be using uh, Dropbox. And, uh, and so I was, a little bit, I was a little bit put off, but after so many people had written into the program, including our very own Jason Plum, who uh, has been on the program a couple of times, I knew I had to take it a little bit more seriously. And uh, after looking into it, the Tanito server actually allows you to n- not only access all of your files from the computer or web browser... Mm. But the mobile app allows you to do things like DLNA, uh, and so it actually does is optimized for media, both inside of the LAN and when you're outside of the home. So if it's doing DNLA, that means you could get it on your console that's hooked up to your nice stereo system right. and things like that. Yeah, because it's supporting a standard. But of course, that's only going to work on the LAN. Yeah. So yep. so the, the, but but and so I've not had a. I we got a lot of these messages as I was on my way out here to scale. And mm. so I haven't had a chance to play with this, yeah. dig into it as deep as I'd like to. So it's on your list. It is on my list. And I think what I'm going to do is actually on the plane ride home, I've actually been playing <laughs> with uh, virtual machines. Okay. Uh, you know, Invert Manager. Yeah, so sure. I'm thinking I'm going to spin up my own Tanito server. That's amazing. On the airplane. In a VM. In a VM. On your laptop. And then I'm going to set up a little LAN and then stream that content over to my phone. Sure, on sure. On the ride home. You could. Yeah. Well, that's that seems like the most logical way to to, that's a good way to spend a few hours. Yeah, right. Exactly. I got a four-hour 
for our plane ride. one 450 noah That's one 450 The email, live at asknoahshow.com. So I guess my question to you is, as you're walking around, what are you seeing? What's the vibe that you get? Because you, you have a very interesting perspective. Because I feel like I can sometimes get subjected to echo chamber because I'm here and I'm around the same people so much. And you, you very strategically pick which conferences you're going to go to mm-hmm. and there's other variables involved. But That's I think true. you have a fresher perspective. So, so give it to me. Yeah, I did take a year off. Yeah, so you're walking yeah. in here and, and you have a fresh perspective. Mm-hmm. What does it feel like to you? Well, it's funny. We definitely differ on a couple of the observations immediately. To me, it feels bigger. Uh, okay. It feels higher energy. Uh, and I've, I've been here since day one, so I've watched it ramp up when it was sort of a quiet, more focused. People are here because they want to learn a very specific thing. They're likely in the industry. And as, as we've gotten to the weekend, and now here we are towards the end of Saturday, uh, what, I, what I found is a whole other couple of sets of groups of people sort of work their way into the mix really seamlessly. And mm-hmm. so you've got people that are here to make money on Linux and use it at work. But what I found even more surprising is there is some dr- California drive-bys, is what I'm calling them. Okay. There are California drive-by users who haven't committed to a Linux yet. They're curious about Fedora. They're hmm. curious about Ubuntu. They're curious about the different distros and projects. They're curious about, uh, is it actually possible to use Linux in my workplace? And they're sort of just dri- doing a drive-by. They see this event going on, and they're coming in. Hmm. I-, I wouldn't think that even is a thing that happens. I mean, this is a Linux event. Yeah, it, why, would, why would randos want to come in here and check this out? But randos are coming in and learning about Linux. That's particularly true when you don't have a recognizable name. Right when you yeah. don't have the Microsofts or yeah. the Apples, yeah. you know, or the it's Googles. not the iPhone convention. No, no, it's not, and it, it's it, it appeals to a very specific user set. You think so? But there's people in here that are here to learn. I mean, there's definitely. I'd say the second big group that's really ramped up over the weekend is your casual homebrews. You know, I have a home server. I've got a couple mm. of workstations. I love using it, but I, it's not my it's not my bread and butter. Those of those people have trickled in on the week, on the weekend too. So it's not just randos. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I was really surprised. I'll tell you one thing I noticed right off the bat, and you had mentioned it before I got here, but then I really started to notice it more and more, is there's a lot of people that are recognizing the content that we're producing here at Jupiter Broadcasting, the people that are recognizing uh, us individually, recognizing the shows. Oh, and yeah, definitely. Even some people, it's, it's really kind of comical, but you can tell people want to, they want to create a connection. They're like, I listen to that show, that, and yeah. then they may not know exactly the words, or they may not know the exact, yeah. you know, the person or the voice or whatever. They're yeah. like, I recognize you guys. Yeah. You guys it, are doing a great you gotta job. you got to say a few lines, and then once they hear the voice, they're like, oh. Yeah, you're <laughs> that guy that does that thing. <laughs> that is a funny thing, and I, I definitely wouldn't have brought it up if you had said anything, because it sounds braggadocious a little bit. But that's oh, really? Been, don't you think? I don't know. I it's kind of like saying, yeah, I, sure, I really feel like a rock star this year. I, th- I guess where I was going with it is that it, we've been so well received here. You know, that everybody from Larry to Elon to um, the, the, the people that are around are happy that Jupiter Broadcasting yeah. is the only media outlet that is producing. Co- I mean, there's there's people here writing and stuff. Right, but, but we're the only online media like video or audio platform that's right. covering. And I definitely think we're the only one doing a live show. Yeah, and so. I, I, I think, and I, I brought this up in an interview before I turned your audio on so you couldn't argue with me, but um, I think that is a unique perspective and a unique thing that Jupiter Broadcasting has done and something that isn't, uh, because you don't call it outright, and I think sometimes people don't acknowledge that. Uh, and I think that's something unique, and I think it's a cool branding thing, and I also think it's something that largely appeals to the audience. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess. I think one of the reasons I probably don't talk about it a lot is because some people just aren't interested in these events a lot because they sure. haven't been here. Yeah. And so the struggle that I have had this year is uh, how can I communicate why this is important to me? Why do I, why do I come down here, move my home down here for mm-hmm. a week and literally live down here? Um, because there is, there is such a deeper connection when you come to these events. Absolutely. And I can't ever describe it in a way that makes sense. Maybe if I was a writer, I could. Sure. Uh, but it, the best way I could describe it is you go from a two-dimensional understanding of a project or a person you interact with to mm-hmm. a full three-dimensional understanding. Like right. it's, it's like going from 2D space to 3D space. Yeah. It's a whole new plane of understanding. Because you're creating those emotional connections with other human beings, not just yeah. you're, that, you're that username yeah. on that mailing list. Right. And I think the other thing that is super easy to slip into is the world that we pri- primarily work in day-to-day is technical. So mm-hmm. things are ones and zeros. It's really one or a zero. Mm-hmm. And humans don't work like that. Humans operate in the gray area, and 
they actually need context to interact right. with each other, sure. and they need they need to have the, a a more primal kind of connection mm -hmm. than just. I need this thing from this individual. This individual provides thing. I'm compensating individual or whatever it might be, the arrangement. Mm -hmm. We think that's enough because it's transactional. It's one and zero. Right. And that's, what we, that's the world we live in. Right. But the reality is if you actually want to get more effective, if you, if you want to get deeper into projects, if you want to get more involved in open source, if mm -hmm. you want to be part of a project that you really like and respect and excited about, you got to go 3D. You can't stay at that two-dimensional level because it will just fundamentally inhibit how deep you can go. And what I would try to do when we go to these events is try to pull out as much of that as we can to provide it to people that are listening that can't go. Or it's just not the year they can make it. Or right. they're not sure they're ready to go yet. Or they don't understand how this impacts the open source community. Right. I was just going to say, they don't understand the value of it, maybe. I don't, and I don't mean to keep bringing it back about Jupiter Broadcasting, but just to talk in a way that I can directly relate to, the most direct way I can, I, can, I can relate to what you're talking about is look at the amount of work that you and I have gotten done. And it's not that we planned a meeting. It's not that we had a retreat. It's not that we went to a leadership conference. Yeah. We went out for Mexican. Yeah. I mean, we ate tacos. Yeah. They were yeah. good tacos. Yeah, they were. We, and when they weren't curry. No. I'm still waiting. I, I got it in the fridge for you. I know. <laughs> but it's, it's more funny if I say I'm waiting. <laughs> But look at the, the, the amount of work that we've gotten done. And yeah. look at the, the kind of connection. And, and, and like you said, the contextual things. It's the things that are beyond the words yeah. that allow you to, to understand, you know, really, yeah, really going on. And I think, it's, I think it's really kind of one of those things where when you walk away from it, you kind of come away energized about open source mm -hmm. and about community. And especially for somebody who maybe like me isn't predominantly a social person, mm -hmm. uh, it's a good chance for me to exercise that in a, in a space that is filled with people that like to talk about what I like to talk about. Right. And it's really fun to go and have peer-level conversations with people about the K-Win compositor and about the things you can do to make your gaming per more performant. Right. You know, that's great. Like, I don't normally get that. So, and, that's, so, and that brings me to an interesting point. As I'm walking around here, I'm definitely hearing talks and meanderings about people are thinking about the Linux desktop. Mm -hmm. And they are thinking about the Linux desktop in a way of... Where is the Linux desktop going and mm -hmm. what technologies do we need to be targeting? Yeah. And the fact that they're putting that kind of effort and the fact that that seems to be such a forefront conversation, we're not talking about phones. Yeah. We're not talking about TVs. Right. We're not talking about containers. Right. That's all here, of course. Right. But the forefront seems to be the Linux desktop. Yeah. And when I talk to these developers, they're really focusing on the Linux desktop. And actually, that's, that's a great, I think that's, that's a great segue into Nathan Haynes. Uh, Nathan, we've met Nathan a couple of times, mm -hmm. and Nathan is the leader of the Ubuntu Loco here in Los Angeles. He's also a member of the local community council uh, on Canonical, and that's a really fancy way of saying that he has a really deep ties to the community and really understands what's going on with Canonical and Ubuntu at a very local level. Mm -hmm. And so he was kind enough to come on the program and talk with a little bit about what Ubuntu is going, and he has, I think, some neat ideas of what they could be doing with Snaps. Yeah. So, Nathan, first of all, thanks so much for taking the time to stop on the Ask Noah show and chat with us a little bit. Um, I see that Ubuntu has had a booth here basically every year for as long as I've been coming to scale. Tell me why scale is so important to Ubuntu. This is our 11th year at scale, and as the largest Linux and open free software community uh, a conference in, uh, in, in North America, scale is a place where people come from all across the US and all across the world just to really celebrate um, Linux and free software. And so um, since that's so close to the values that, uh, that Ubuntu has, is that sense of community, this is the perfect place for us to be and answer questions. And uh, really, especially the first couple of years, most of our time was uh, just coming in and, and, and being gracious when people said thank you for Ubuntu. You talk about how there's a community feel here, how this is a community conference. Tell me the difference between a corporate conference and a community conference. Corporate conferences are all about business, all about sometimes products, uh, technologies, things they want to sell, why you should use their technology. And we're all here to say um, it's all great. Um, there's, no, there's no bad Linux. And, um, you know, to help people answer the questions so they can make their decisions and get work done. Sure. So it's not a zero-sum game. There can be more than one winner. Exactly. Obviously, this year is a big year for things like Wayland, and obviously with the changes that Canonical has made to their default desktop environment, you know, you talked about how Gnome is here, how KDE is here. Are you getting a lot of questions? Are you getting a lot of concern? Are you getting a lot of excitement for Canonical's decision to switch to the Gnome desktop? 
people are looking saying, oh, that doesn't look so different at all. And we said, no, we've worked really hard to make, we haven't re-implemented Unity on top of Gnome Shell. We want it to be a Gnome Shell experience, but we want to provide an easy transition. So when people, uh, when someone has uh, 1604 and they do their upgrade in July, um, they're not, it's not surprise new interface. It's really nice that um, Gnome has changed uh, so that um, six years ago, uh, seven years ago when we started Unity, Gnome wasn't easy to work with if, if you didn't have the exact same direction that, that they had. And nowadays, um, you know, they're, uh, they still know exactly the, what they want Gnome Shell to be. Mm -hmm. But we say we want to modify a little bit or, or make things more flexible. Um, they're like, well, let's work together so we can um, not change the Gnome experience, but let you mm -hmm. customize, let other distros customize. So you have found, or Ubuntu has found the Gnome team to be very responsive and, and easy to work with as far as integrating change or getting things patched when you guys find bugs? When we split, it was kind of the way things had to, had yeah. to come. Uh, nowadays, we went back you know, with uh, uh, good hopes and uh, you know, open mind, and they've been incredibly responsive, and I think it's been a really, really good partnership. At going forward in 2018, what, where do you see the future of Linux? Where do you see, what do you hope to be talking about in 2019 when, when we come here and we meet up? Um, I think it'd be great if uh, there's a, a Linux subsystem for Windows from Microsoft uh, as a snap that you can install and, and run Windows programs and then wine disappears. Is this a pipe dream or is this something that is like, at least it has some like hope of maybe happening? Uh, it just came to me in a vision when you asked that question. But, okay. Right. So I'm hoping that um, as snaps become more popular, as they become easier and easier to use because snaps make it so easy that you can say, you can write a recipe and every time you hit uh, GitHub, it rebuilds and you're all set. People want more information, Ubuntu.com, and obviously if they're here at scale, come by the Ubuntu booth and check things out. Absolutely, and um, with Snap, so 18.4 has a new install mode for the desktop, a minimal install. And so if you're a, a corporation that didn't want to support everything, or if you knew you wanted to run uh, all your stuff through Snaps, now we have a way to do that. Um, so you're not stuck with just the Ubuntu defaults that always have to stick around. Um, where That's the beginning of a process where we're going to make the install uh, just as easy, one click, no problem. Mm -hmm. But if you want to customize things a little bit, uh, you'll be able to uh, start uh, uh, having more flexibility without sacrificing uh, the new user friendliness. So I think one of the most interesting things that I heard from Nathan, you know, obviously Canonical is doing a really great job all around. And one of the things that I have seen speculated in the community, and I was glad that Nathan put it to rest, was that GNOME is a difficult project to work with. That, you know, there's this this idea that anything that Canonical suggests to Gnome that they're not going to work with it. And he said, you know, that was a problem at one time. That was an issue. And uh, and that was one of the reasons that they had to go their own way. And from his perspective, they don't see that as an issue. Hmm. And I thought that was interesting. The other thing I thought was pretty interesting was his speculation that snap, that you could use the, uh, the Windows subsystem as a snap. Now, we were out at lunch earlier today, Chris and I were, and we were talking about the direction that Microsoft is going. Because one of the things that Microsoft keeps saying at this conference and every other is that don't just listen to our words, take a look at our actions. Yeah, that was actually the, la the final slide of one of the keynote presentations today was uh, follow up on us, check, out, check in how we're doing, actually see what our actions are. We are changing. And yeah. the kind of change that we are proposing, the kind of change that we are implementing at Microsoft is change that cannot be rolled back easily. We're going one direction and one direction only. Yeah. And I guess, I, I, I'll be honest with you, and I know there's, it seems like when I talk to other people, the jury is still out, and there's, there's a lot of people that are saying, oh, it's pretty clear to me, there's things like PowerShell, they can't go back and no, going back, source that out. Yeah. Core. yeah, they've made, they've, they, have, they have taken serious action. And I guess, for me, the jury's just still out. And maybe, I'll be the first one to admit, maybe that's just this emotional thing of being, you know, just burned by a company for so many years mm. to try to see that they've changed their stripes. But uh, as, I, as I listen to Nathan talk about how you could actually, potentially, in theory anyway, take the Windows subsystem and turn it into a snap. And then I start listening to him, and this didn't make it the cut into the interview, um, but he was talking about how some of the people from Microsoft he is building a relationship with here and that she had stopped over and she had talked to him. Yeah. And they were talking about these various things. Yeah. And uh, That's one of the things that's great here. It is. Networking and, and the conferencing. But when you have ideas like that, 
if you can if you can take the Ubuntu subsystem and incorporate it into Windows, why couldn't you take the Windows subsystem and incorporate it into Ubuntu? Yeah, really. And uh, if especially if it was a Microsoft project, the thing that you didn't mention at lunch is I was saying to you, I said, well, what the heck would it take, Noah? What would it take for Microsoft to convince you? And I wonder if Microsoft released a Windows subsystem for Linux. So you could run Windows yes. on Linux. Absolutely. You open up a terminal, and right. it's Windows. And yes. it's binary compatible with yes. Windows. And you can run Windows applications. And it, unfortunately, but maybe, maybe, maybe good, it, it makes the wine, it's so good it makes the Wine project 100% irrelevant. You can even run games on this thing. Yeah. It's so good. And it's completely open source. Right. Would that make you change your tune about Microsoft? It would. If, if, I get to, if we get to the point where you, can, where you can run, and you can execute PL code on Linux... I would agree that that is the that's the that's the final nail that would that would convince me Microsoft has changed its stripes. And to, to be honest with you, because I don't want to get you know too far down in the weeds, the, the reality is that Microsoft is only going to make decisions that benefit Microsoft, and that's an okay thing. Microsoft is in business to support Microsoft. Yeah. And I understand that, and I accept that, and I'm okay with that. Yeah. I guess what I am looking to see is before I am going to go around and tout Microsoft as you know, like I've heard people say this. The biggest contributor to open source in 2018. The biggest contributor. I think to it was open 2016. Because it was it is, yeah. yeah, it was Hyper-V patches. Yeah, before I'm going to be willing to go around and, and give them a pat on the back and say yeah. you yeah. know I, I I just I want them to have some yeah. skin in the game. Yeah. And uh, and so if that happens, it happens. If not, but uh, but again, the it goes back to this what you were talking about earlier that fourth dimensional connection between humans. Mm -hmm. And that's the kind of stuff that you get here at a conference. That's mm -hmm. not the kind of stuff that you can get even on a, a mailing list. Yeah. one 450 no. That's one 450 6624 The email, live at com. Make your voice heard. Become a part of the program. Chris is calling from West Virginia. Hey, Chris. Welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Hey, Noah. How you doing? Pretty good. So, you know, you and I have had a dis an ongoing discussion in the Telegram group. And last week I had talked about Simple Help and what a great tool and resource it is and all of the benefits. And I said if I if I could only have one or two tools, it would probably come down to C file and Simple Help. And a couple people went to Simple Help's website, simplehelp.com, simple help.com, and they they misunderstood. They said, hey, I it's don't It's not open source, no. Well if one it's not open source and the other thing what that are they you said, doing to us here? And the other thing that they said was I don't. You can't self-host it. It's you, oh. have, you have to. And, the, and that's you're the self-hosted guy. Well, you're the open-source Linux self-hosted guy. What are you doing? Right. But here's the thing. Yeah. It's only available as a self-host service. You. They don't even offer a hosted version that I'm aware of. <laughs> so yes, when you go to simplehelp.com and you click on pricing, they give okay. pricing, and it's a standard business and enterprise. But here's what you have to understand. You have to understand that when they say a single license is three hundred dollars, that means that for the rest of your life. You can use the binary that they gave you for $300. Now, after one year is up, you can renew that, that service for $240. And then, you're, then, you then you'll get the latest binary and continue to get the latest binary. Okay. okay. This it, is enterprise-grade stuff here. It is. And it's, and it's not just for remotely controlling the desktop. Yeah. It's yeah. for doing a bunch of management stuff. I mean, are you advocating that people replace, like, TeamViewer if they're just yes. doing one or two machines? Um, one or two machines... That's a t See, the problem is that pricing for TeamViewer is almost $1,000. Yeah, if you pay for it. If Otherwise, you live with the negs. If, I mean, if you use it so rarely, the negs aren't so bad. If you use it so rarely, it doesn't matter. If you start, I'd say if you start accessing a machine two or three times a day, eventually TeamViewer will shut you down. Uh, Not just nag you, shut oh, you down. Oh, that's I didn't what happened know that. To me. Right. Well, the interesting thing about Simple Help, and this is kind of why I asked Chris to call in if he had some time. Uh, Chris Lucas joins us from West Virginia, is that... The Simple Help licensing scheme will allow you to, if you buy, let's say, uh, let's say you buy the business version, and it, the the business version is four hundred dollars, four hundred fifty dollars per active session, so per remote connection at a simultaneous time. So I could have ten thousand PCs I could potentially connect to, but I can only be connected to one at a time. Exactly, and ten thousand and fifty thousand potential people enrolled in your system that can also connect to those ten thousand PCs. Right. Four hundred fifty dollars, one, one simultaneous one connection. connection. Now, if you buy more than one simultaneous connection, the price goes down. So you buy two, it's $360. You buy three, it grew up a little bit more. The fantastic thing about Simple Open, why I really commend them, I spent the $450. Then I said I want to add a second license. They give it to you at that $360 for both of them. So now I'm paying $300 and whatever it would be, $30. And this isn't an ad. This is no, not it's a not sponsorship. An ad. No. They don't sponsor. But why I brought Chris, Chris on, I'm sorry, Chris, thank you for being patient, for waiting for me. But 
the, the, the way that the self-hosted service works is inside of what we call the agent, and that is the piece of program that runs in the background to allow you to connect. You can specify which servers it is registering to. And then oh. those servers ultimately determine the access controls of who can access that machine. But what Chris and I have done is Chris owns an IT consulting company out of West Virginia. And he has some expertise that I don't have, and I have some expertise that he doesn't have. And so our the clients that we each have, where both of us are doing a little bit work for the other one, we have simultaneously enrolled those clients in both of our Simple Help servers. And so, I, Chris, I was wondering if you could touch on your experience uh, basically, is it worth the 450 bucks? Well, first of all, um, I'm in geek heaven because I have been listening to Christner for 10 years and never talked to him directly. So <laughs> I'd like you and say, hi, Chris. I'm, hey, thanks. I'm sorry. Thanks. I hi, Chris. I should, I'm sorry. I should have made an introduction. Chris, meet Chris. Hey, Chris. Nice meet name. Chris. I like your name. Hey, you too. Um, I'm sorry, no, what was your question? <laughs> He's starstruck. We have a starstruck. No, basically, I was, you, I mean, you were following the conversation probably closer than I was in Telegram, but there were some people that were really upset with me. It's not worth 400 bucks, is what people think. It's not worth almost 500 well, bucks. Well, there was one guy, he literally, well, he literally, he literally said, he said, I, I looked, I am not paying $300 every time I want to connect to my computer. Uh, well, now that's a really confusing way to put it. $300 per session almost sounds like every time I double-click on something, it's going to charge yeah, me 300 Yeah, that's kind of the wrong way to put it. That's not the way it works. Well, you, 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 let, you, you left a couple of things out there, Noah. Um, for that one seat, one control, you could still have, like Chris said, a thousand machines. You could have a thousand technicians also. Right. But only one connection at a time. Right, uh, one simultaneous connection. Something they're doing now that I... I don't think they did before is they are they're offering bundles now I didn't even notice that hmm. but right um, yes they the the I'm sorry you again I did it again I was listening to both of you and I missed your entire question well no I, I guess here's 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 basically what I was getting at what basically what I was getting at is that simple help is a great choice for managed service providers, for people that are doing this as a profession. Now, if you have, if you are, if you're running a personal machine and you have that one machine that you connect to once a month, probably not worth the overhead of setting up a dedicated server. I guess that's what I was getting at, I and I, I get, and I guess what I wanted your input on was you had explained it in a very graceful way in the Telegram chat of where the ideal Simple Help user is and why their price is reasonable. Um, I believe I said something to the effect of uh, if you're just managing, you know, four or five machines, it's not really worth it to you. But I put it on every one of my family members' machines, and it doesn't matter where they are in the world. If they can see my server, if they can connect to the Internet and see my server, I can help them no matter what. I open my, my uh, technician console. I see their machine. I double-click it. Boom, I've got control. Um, and. And, and like how, you, how has your experience like you been said, with firewalls? Um, I don't think I've had an issue with firewalls. I've actually the, helped, uh, I actually helped a couple of people in the Ask Noah channel. Um, you know, they were having issues with something, and we broke off into our own little chat. And I said, well, here, go to this page, download this client. Boom, there they are. They're on my terminal or on my technician panel. I double-click. I've got control of their machine. Now we're right. chatting. Then, now I see what they see. Yeah, and so there's a lot of little features that I didn't go into, and you're kind of you're breezing by them. But the ability to I have the ability to pop a message up on a user's machine that's enrolled, right? Yes. And so even that is some, nice. and hey, even, I'm going to be rebooting systems tonight. Exactly. Save all your work before you leave. Exactly that yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah, or, yeah. And and sending them to multiple machines. Um, when you open up, you know, obviously uh, the chat thing. That's pretty typical of any remote. Uh, desktop software, but the ability to install programs in the background, mm. the ability to manage services, to create the short desktops on the sh shortcut and stuff like that. I, I as I was talking about it at, over at lunch, because this conversation came up again and again. Yeah. <laughs> it's just it's one of those things where I don't have enough good things to say about it, and I I, I don't I, I actually was toying around whether to say this on the air or not, and I basically decided I'm going to. But I heard from a user, this is not an official policy. However, I had one user that that telegrammed me and said, I contacted Simple Help and said that $300 is an unreasonable price for what I'm trying to do. I just have this home computer. 
and they just gave them a license and said, if you're just using it for home, you're not making money off of it, we want to help you out. We're actually looking at rolling out a free mm, version. That would be great. So if you guys, if there's somebody out there and you're just, and, and, and please don't take advantage of these no, guys. because just let them know you want a, it. Yeah, they're making a great product. But it, so, yeah. so please don't, if you actually plan on using it for business, please, please be honest and, and square up with them. But if you are, in fact, only connecting to one machine at a time or two machines at a time or whatever as a personal thing, uh, go ahead and give them a call or go ahead and tweet them and you can take a look and, and see what they offer. And if they ever did release a free version, Man, we're gonna do. I mean, I know it's stupid. It's just the second week in a row I'm talking about it. But I'm gonna do. A, I'm gonna do a third episode all about Simple Help. Really? Yeah. As we convert your studio yeah. to Simple Help. Oh, oh, sure. Yeah, we yeah. are. I actually am all about that. Yeah. And you so. know what's great is so the so for example the Obscaster machine is actually already enrolled mm -hmm. in yes Simple Help. And so yep. the nice thing is like you set your Simple Help server up. We can you can just add your server to that list, and now all of a sudden you have access to it. And let's say your server ever goes down or something happens, you can say, "Hey, Noah, can I get a log on to yours?" And then you can still access that machine. What's the screen latency like if I'm over a slow connection? Actually, it's really interesting. So you can choose how you want oh. that. So Are you, is it, you're using it right here, right now. I am. Yeah, that's over a Wi-Fi connection. That's actually how we're on the air while I'm streaming. But <laughs> I can go up over here into the uh, into the settings panel, and I can actually dial it up or down. I, yeah, I can actually tell it. I want to run at this particular resolution. I want to grab this screen this many times. Yeah. All of those things. Oh, that's nice. All of those things can be exactly dialed in. And um, the app looks like it works pretty good on the Plasma desktop too. Like it's yeah, working. It yeah, it, yeah. It actually, it's actually worked a lot better on Plasma than it ever did on. Oh, really? You know, yeah, I it, think so. It looks like it works good. And it, huh? Okay, you are selling me on Simple Help. Yeah, I, my, the best thing I can do to sell it to you is is try it. And the nice thing is Simple Help does offer uh, a trial. So anyone that's out there that is questioning what I'm saying is, is it really worth it, only you can answer that. I think that's Simple why TeamViewer owns the market for personal remote oh, is because of that free. Yeah. You know, and it's funny because TeamViewer shot themselves in the foot. After using TeamViewer for so many years, I wasn't even considering something else. Yeah. And I just recently went back because they released uh, an official Linux version. Let me tell you something about the Linux version. Yeah. Every time Simple Help, or I'm sorry, every time TeamViewer updates, yeah, you get two update cycles before you have to install the next version. Oh no! Now, there is a limit to which versions of Ubuntu will run the latest version of TeamViewer. Third week of this program, fourth week of this program, I had a call from a user, and we talked about this very thing. If you have a 1204 machine or a 1404 machine, and you're not, if both the the computer that you're connecting to and the computer that you're using get out of sync even just a little bit by two versions, you mm. can no longer connect it. It'll give you a message and say, tell your partner to upgrade his version. That's no good. And I, I, I probably just have never hit that because right now everything's just recently been loaded to Neon. Right. Yeah, and if you can, if you can keep everything in the same... If you can keep everything in the same version, then you're fine. Um, but I have gotten bit by Friends that a couple of times. Friends and family machines that are further out of my control, that's not so yeah. easy to guarantee. Great thing about Simple Up, again, go to, they have an instant support page. So you click on that thing, it, da it just has a little run file, and then you can connect to their program. Oh, so yeah. you don't even have to pre-install it. You just yeah. like, get this file, run mm -hmm. it. Okay. Anyway, I don't mean to turn the whole program into a simple up thing. I, I get it. Either you like it or you don't. And it's not open source, so it's not perfect. But um, I just wanted to clarify some of that stuff because I think that if there are people out there that are looking for a really solid remote connection and they don't want to get the rug pulled out from under them like I did with another product that I had previously recommended and I no longer recommend, um, yeah. give simple up. It's yeah. simple-help.com. And uh, yes, just to answer the question, you are aware of guacamole remote. Right. Yes. That came in. Yes, yes you are I've aware heard of that. Of, I've heard of it tangentially yes. anyway. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I've also heard of VNC. Yeah. XRDP. You've heard of that. X to go. So, yes, yeah, just so everybody knows. That is, I've noticed that. I've noticed people have asked you that. Yes, he, he does know about them. Yeah, we've talked about them. one 450 noah That's one 450 6624 The email, live at Ben is calling from Kentucky. Hey Ben, oh, I, just, I do want to remind you, Ben. That we, Noah. Oh, hey, hey, hey there, ben, ben. I just, I just want to remind you, we got to keep the language clean because we are on the radio, okay? <laughs> oh, I'm you know, Ben's sorry. having a tough time. That. He's having a tough time. No, it's okay. So, for those of you that I, I don't know, do you want to introduce your problem or do you not want to go through it again? It's probably kind of frustrating. Maybe I should just catch everyone up. Oh Lord, it's okay. I can, uh, <laughs> I can uh, reiterate what we talked about a week ago. It's okay. <laughs> So, so I'll actually let you introduce it because I know you know what I'm going about. Yeah. So you, he, Ben has a MacBook and he's had he's had a really terrible time. He's trying to get Linux running, and he's doing everything he can to get Linux running. I actually managed to do it, Noah. <laughs> oh, you got Linux to work? Oh, really? This we is a success it story. Wonderful. Oh, so, all right. Let, me, okay, uh, all right. Let me. Well, this, might let not, me this might not be as entertaining as I was expecting. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right, let's yeah. walk through this a little I bit. Better. I like Ben. Ben calls into a radio show you. and uh, has the TV going. Yeah. Well, so so Ben, yeah, I guess let here's me what I it. Well, actually, yeah, what happened was, what happened was, um, I got Antragos on it with Katie and I found oh, that it's good. scaling, nice. et cetera, et cetera. Good. Okay, so but you are a plasma user then. The only the there are some quirks, though. I will say, there are okay. some quirks that I found. Um, only the NVIDIA graphics are working, which is kind of a pain in the neck. And yeah. then, um, the, uh, webcam doesn't work, weirdly enough. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's kind yep. of a, that's kind of a killer. So, yeah. And, and, ben, I, and ben, I just want to stop you for one second. I just want to tell you, I, I don't actually know that there is a solution to the webcam. Thing. Oh, there is there a is. long and drawn-out process that involves extracting firmware blobs from Mac OS if you have the right version of a MacBook. Um, it would be a better use of your time to just get a USB webcam. Yeah. It really, because I, 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 I took a hot minute to try it, and I just, I got, I got about 10 minutes really into it, and I thought, this is, this is just not worth it. I don't use the EyeSight camera that much, and it's kind of a crappy camera to begin with. The NVIDIA thing is fixable. Oh, okay. That's a boot time option flag you can set, um, depending on what bootloader you're using. Uh, the downside is you will have to make a choice at boot time between Intel or NVIDIA. Sure, but okay. But you pick one at boot time. So I guess, Ben, my first question is, how often do you actually use the webcam? I don't have to use the webcam. That's not a big deal. But I do want to get okay. switchable graphics working if I can manage to do that. Okay. And is that is doing that so at boot time a problem for you? Is that an acceptable solution? I can, I can give it a try. That's not a big deal. Um, yeah, it's not ideal. I, I agree because I had the same situation. But it is manageable. And if you check the Arch Wiki, there's some pretty clear instructions on how to do it. Okay, so we'll have yeah, that I link. I can give for that a shot. Notes. That's not that hard. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. That's okay. fine. I'll uh, I'll take a look into that, and that shouldn't be too difficult because I've messed with uh, the bootloader parameters before, so that shouldn't be too much of an issue. Okay, well, Thanks. that's fantastic, and and thank you, Ben. You're much. a warrior. Yeah, uh, we really appreciate you not only calling in to ask, you know, because everyone that calls in to ask a question is, is supporting the show. It's the most value. People always ask me, say, how can you support the show? Well, that's really the best thing you can do to support the show, uh, and we really appreciate it. But the second best thing you can do is call back in when something, when you get something right or when something is fixed. Call back in and let us know because there's some, there's some other MacBook out there. MacBook user out there that's having an issue, yeah. and he he can benefit from yeah. learning from others. There's a, there's a fair amount of MacBooks here at the floor of scale, mm -hmm. and the conversation has come up at least two or three times about running Linux on them. Really? So it's it's not like everybody's doing it, but there's enough people now that have the hardware, and they've you know they've gotten over the new shiny, and I think they're ready to kind of try having some fun with it, and yeah. so it comes up and. Um, it's really nice to have a usable operating system too. Oh, and uh, you know the conversation usually goes along the lines of how old is it? If it's about yeah, right. four or five years old, you're going to be pretty solid. If it's touch bar, you're you're pretty pretty oh, stuck yeah. right now. You're, it's not very easy. Yeah. So I and so I guess um, you know just thanks for calling in. We really appreciate that. Now it's you know it's interesting because you talk about you know we have seen uh, disproportionate a number of MacBooks yeah. and a lot of Windows boxes and and, so, and a good amount of Lenovo's. Good amount of Lenovo's, but I've also seen a lot of Linux here. And what's interesting is as we walk around the floor and we talk to some of the projects and the people that are not only just presenting, but the people that are out on the expo show floor, I am, I'm finding people that have made Linux usable for me on the desktop. Mm, yeah. And one of those people... One of those people is one of the co-founders of Inkscape. And the thing about Ted Gould is... And, and the thing about Ted Gould is that he cares about Linux, and he cares about Linux on the desktop. He's a Linux user. He is a Linux user, and he, even though he's not an artist, he's managed to make a very highly professional graphics tool that I swear by. And uh, anyone that's around me for any length of time, you know, we, we're, we're looking at redoing our logo uh, for AltaSpeed Technologies. Aww. I know. Well, we're going to try and keep some of the... Original... How shall I say? Original inspirations? Historical legacy. Okay, good. good. <laughs> I, like, I like that. Um, but... But uh, as we did that, when, as I'm talking to graphic designers, yeah. one of the things I absolutely insist is that they provide me with an SVG. Mm -hmm. And so, and the reason is because I want to create all of my graphic design stuff inside of Inkscape. And so I was walking around the floor, and I ran into uh, Mr. Gould, and 
uh, he talked to us about Inkscape and what they're up to. Walking around the floor at scale, uh, we came to the Inkscape booth and I had to stop in and say hello. I have to tell you, I am a huge fan of Inkscape. In fact, I never miss an opportunity to tell somebody they should be using Inkscape for something. <laughs> and if we design our graphics, at the very least, I insist that any graphics that come through our shop have to be processed in SVG so I can, so I can use Inkscape even if they didn't. And, and that for you, that's liberating, right? Because you can make adjustments, you can start to bring things together. And I think that's what is a lot of the power of open formats and open source. It's not necessarily that you would do all the graphics yourself. You may not have to be a designer, I don't know, but you know, you can hire a designer and then you could take it and you can start to build on it. And that's the beauty of open graphics and free graphics is that it empowers users. So one of the things that I've noticed right off the bat with Inkscape is it is an insanely powerful program, and that can be overwhelming to people sometimes. Sometimes people will they'll sit down at, at, at Inkscape and they'll say, there are a lot of buttons, but honestly, once you get under the hood, it's actually pretty simple to pick up. Well, we try our best to try to keep it available for everyone. You know, you want to be able to build and start with a new project, but you also want to be able to do everything that's possible. Um, we've got artists that do photorealistic renderings that are just unbelievable. I mean, I, I don't even really know how it's not a photo. Um, but these people just generate it. And But for me, mostly I'm a developer, and so I, I do diagrams, I do boxes, I do yeah. lines, and Inkscape works well for those too. Um, but yeah, it can be intimidating. We've tried to provide um, as many resources. There's uh, good Inkscape books online that are free, and there's also ones you can buy at the No Starch booth if you're interested. Mm -hmm. um, but there's a lot of resources available, and we hope to do more of that. We we're really focused on getting more resources out there. There's also a lot of good video, video tutorials on YouTube, um, if you're interested in that, and learning more about how to just really get involved in Inkscape. So I'm starting out on Inkscape. I'm a new user. I've never really used a graphic design program. I know that I want to get started, and I and I maybe I don't have the patience to read a book, or maybe I don't have the patience to watch a video. Talk to me about what a scalable vector graphic is and why that's beneficial. So in general, vector graphics means that you're keeping the entire schematic of how you built the image. And so if you want to use it for one format, we talk a lot about like, hey, I want to be on a phone screen or I want to be on a billboard. Well, if you keep a vector graphic, you keep the actual schematic that goes and does those different outputs. And so you don't lose that. If you do it in a bitmap editor or you take a photo, that's one size, that's one capture. But the vector graphics allow you to be more flexible and go back and edit the individual components later. So if I start out and I'm, because I'm just, I'm freestyling it and I make a 200 by 200 pixel image and it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a line. You're telling me I can blow that picture up to the side of the New York State, uh, you know, Empire State Building and print it off and I won't lose a bit of quality? You can laser print it on the moon. That's a good answer. I like that. I'm going to have to steal that. So let's say I don't know how to draw objects myself. Is there, uh, is there a place I can go to download pre-made SVGs? Yes. There's the Open Clip Art Library. The Open Clip Art Library is public domain SVGs. Uh, and I don't remember how many images are there. It's like 90,000 or something like that. There's just a huge amount of SVG. And it's all public domain. So that means you could take it and start to modify it. Mm -hmm. For instance, over here, I've got a knot board that I made for my Cub Scout troop yeah. um, pack. And so I took a bunch of Open Clip Art stuff of knots and of diagrams, and I put all those together. And I created something that was a lot new, that was new, and we laser cut it, and we gave it to a bunch of little Cub Scouts, and they they practiced their knots with them. Um, so that was based on you know knot designs that other people had published. I didn't do it all myself. I, I'm not an artist. I couldn't have done it myself. But Open Clip Art empowered me to be able to make that design. One of the things you started with is you said, isn't it nice to have LibreSoft or open source software? How about your operating system choice? Are you a Mac guy, Windows guy, Linux guy? So I'm a Linux guy. I mean, that's what I do. Um, Inkscape actually is uh, available for Windows and Mac as well. Um, and we have, I think most of our downloads actually come from uh, Windows. So a lot of people are uh, we're using Inkscape on Windows. Um, we find a lot of our developers who know about open source and learn about open source come from the open source communities around operating systems as well. There's fewer bugs on the open source operating system, so if you've got a choice, I'd recommend choosing that. Um, but we definitely do support Windows and Mac OS as well. So I'm, I'm, a, I'm a diehard Linux on the desktop guy. That's, that's just me, you know? And so I guess, I, I guess as I start, started to look for professional-grade tools when I came across Inkscape, that was really exciting to me. And any project, or when I meet somebody like yourself, and you're a developer, and you say, I have a passion for open source, I have a passion for Libre software, and I am using Linux on the desktop, you have great insight into what the Linux desktop is doing, what the ecosystem is doing, and you're making your changes in your software. Like you said, there's less bugs in the open source version because that's what you're using and so that's where people are going to have the best experience. 
2018 seems like it's going to be a big year for Linux. Where do you think Linux is going and where does Inkscape plan to be? I think that we've got a lot of transitions happening in the way computing works right now. Um, whether you know we see more tablets and phones and how that happens. I mean, for as far as we look at Linux, Linux won. I mean, Linux is the Android, um, and so the reality is Linux is already everywhere. The question is, how do we handle that with some of the traditional Linux applications that we've got? Inkscape, LibreOffice, does that run on Android? I, I don't really know what that answer is. Um, Chrome OS is also talking about running uh, Linux applications directly, um, and that'll change things a lot. So I think we've got we're in a real state of transition that we don't really know. For Inkscape, I mean, right now we're focused on switching to GTK3, because GTK3 gives us the, the pluggable backends, so we can start to do Wayland and other things. So, for instance, our high DPI support isn't very good right now. Mm -hmm. But if you run the GTK3 one branch, like through a PPA or a snap, you can get that version, and it works great on high DPA, mm -hmm. high DPI. Um, and so, I, I think there's a lot of exciting things going there. We don't really know what long-term trajectory is, and we'll see what happens on the desktop, or whether there's a desktop at all. Yeah, well, <laughs> don't say that now. <laughs> but so we we talk a lot about display servers, and there's a lot of people that are really scared by it, and there's a lot of people that are really excited by it. Sounds like Inkscape is pretty well positioned itself to be as competitive on Wayland as it was on Xorg. I think actually Wayland's are a huge gain for us. If you do large Inkscape images, and you know that's not really me, but when I see artists, other artists do it, they've got filters and gradients, and it's just hitting there. It slows down a lot. I mean, it really is a problem. And the fact is that Wayland is uh, requires more from the graphics card and graphics drivers than X did. And so, if you can run Wayland, we already know you're halfway there. We can start to use the Cairo GL backend, which we couldn't use before, and distros weren't enabling it because they didn't really know what the hardware has it. But when we start to go to a Wayland world, we can start assuming those things. And so, once we start being able to assume a certain graphics capability, we can start really using it to empower graphics on all everything to Inkscape to LibreOffice can have cool GL effects a lot more. And so I, I'm excited from Wayland from not necessarily the Wayland itself, but what Wayland shows as a transition for what we can expect. That's fantastic. I'm I'm really excited to, to see what you guys are doing. And uh, just because you kind of brought it up, I, I guess I want to just dig into it a little bit. How about the integration? If I create something in Inkscape, how is that beneficial when I'm going to create like a flyer in LibreOffice that I'm going to print out or a presentation in Impress? Well, I, I think that's what I think that's a, that's a, not necessarily a um, integration between those applications. It's about using open standards, and uh, you know, Open Document is a standard, SVG is a standard. I think that's actually one thing that's really empowered Inkscape development is we didn't argue about file formats. There's no yeah. there's nothing to argue about right. because it's SVG. It's decided by W3C. We don't have, really have a choice, yeah. and so we we had to work within those restrictions. And so it, in ways that empowered us to be able to say, okay, how do I think about this problem in a different way? And so by supporting those open standards, Open or LibreOffice does a great job of supporting SVG now. And so, like for a presentation I gave today, I had I did most of my graphics in Inkscape, but then yeah. I did actually presented them in LibreOffice. And I just you know open, import, yeah. and it's there. It's not a big deal. And so I think it's a bit a bigger thing about being able to support open standards and helping people work on those open standards. Um, we do a lot of work like at LGM and graphics things about getting developers together to understand the standards better. Um, and I think that's all moves to the point where you get the integrations for free effectively by supporting good standards. Well, I'm really excited for what you guys are doing, and I'm incredibly grateful for the product that you put forward. And I think it's a very professional level product that I don't have enough good things to say about. If people wanted to find more about Inkscape, where would they go? Inkscape.org is the website. Um, there's a ton of information there, and we've got links to all the tutorials, books, everything you could go to. Um, you're also welcome to hang out. We've got mailing lists. Um, we're, well, our forums are down right now. We're getting the forums back, but <laughs> the forums will be back soon. Um, and you're welcome to come out and uh, meet us at Scale or other events. We're at. So I really enjoyed talking uh, with Mr. Gould, and the thing is, he's a true nerd, and he cares about his project, and you could tell that every answer he gave me was a passionate answer, mm -hmm. right? He thought and, about and it. And so I was, I, was, I was really thankful for that. Again, open phones, one 450 noaa That's one 450 Of course, the email, live at asknoahshow.com. Make your voice heard. Become a part of the program. Corey calls us. Hey, Corey, how's it going? <laughs> Good, Noah. Um, I'm thinking about doing this for the entire entire household in my company okay. and set up a NextCloud server. Ooh, <laughs> Yeah, and the only two people that I knew of who have who ever done this is you and Chris. 
So okay. <laughs> I think there's, call in. I think there's a couple more people that have set it up than just me and Chris. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> anyway, I'm sorry. What was your I'm sorry. What was your question? I didn't mean to interrupt you. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. But um, I'm actually thinking about buying me a little server, a NAS server, oh, okay. or would y'all recommend just it's going to put in Dropbox? My company is fixing to buy the uh, business account for Dropbox since everybody is a Windows user or a Mac user. Okay, let me ask you. Let me ask you this: What are you thinking of using Dropbox? Or I'm sorry, what are you thinking of using Nextcloud for? <laughs> the to get all the t- photos, photos, and everything that I need from the funeral homes, homes in this bar. That okay, I'm so here's so here's so what I'm hearing, Corey, is that you're interested primarily in file syncing. Yeah, that's what I'm hearing too. Because you don't want to yeah. use, I would not, I would not use uh, Nextcloud for file syncing, and here's why: I've done that; it doesn't work very well, uh, and that's not a hit on Nextcloud. If if you have a, a couple of resource files, you have a couple text documents, maybe you got you know a small photo library, something yeah. like that. Sync is part of what you need, not exclusively what you need. Right. Sync is is part of it. I think in those instances, I think Nextcloud fits very well. I think when you start to look at, I want a data management solution, and I want my data to be everywhere, and I want it to sync everywhere. Yeah. I think in those instances, Nextcloud is not the best solution for that. Yeah. Now, absolutely, if you want to pay for a service, uh, you could go with Dropbox. However, I would encourage you to take a look at C-File. C-File is open source. It's encrypted. And you can host it yourself. So you can start out by just repurposing an OPC, you can go over to DigitalOcean and rent a, a, a droplet. If you st- what's 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 one of the codes that they can use for uh, free? Uh, here's the thing. Here's the thing. If you use the here's the thing, then you'll get you can get some money off of the droplet. They give you a ten dollar credit and get sure. you know. And that, that I would actually just run it on a five dollar droplet. I would also, Corey, make sure you are prepared to manage the data because now you will be responsible for this data. And so you're going to want to think about things like drive redundancy. You're going to want to think about how you're going to back up that data out of the sync because just syncing it around isn't a backup. You need to have a second copy stored somewhere outside of that sync so that way if a file gets wrecked, somebody enters the wrong fields into a spreadsheet, that's just going to sync everywhere. You may need a backup. You know, it's actually, I've seen it happen even worse, Chris. I've seen... um where they have had a, a file synchronization tool installed, and we're Linux. We can't be affected by viruses. We're Linux. We're Linux. We're Linux. We're mm. immune. We're Linux, right? And then somebody takes a Windows box, installs the sync software, yeah. gets CryptoLock or whatever it is. Oh, no. And all of a sudden, all those Linux boxes are host. Oh, wow. You know, so it's, you have to think about it from, the, from that perspective. You're going to be managing data now. You're going to be managing data. And responsible da- You're, you're in that. that business. Mm-hmm. Now, Corey, you said you were, you were doing it for a funeral home. So I'm, I'm assuming here that you are probably making some money off of doing that. And if that's the case, I would roll those costs either to pay somebody to update that sucker once a week, or if you're going to do it, make sure to incorporate those costs. Make sure to look at the cost of your server. So obviously... If you use a, a you know a technical savvy place like DigitalOcean, you can probably get that cost down a little bit. But you, know, you won't say it. But what if he wanted to go through somebody like AltaSpeed to have them manage it? Well, that's what I was going to say. So, okay. so the next, so the next thing is you could uh, go with a managed service. go with a managed service, yeah, or a ma- or, or or rent a server, which Dropbox kind of is. I mean, that's Man- essentially what you're doing. Yep. The, the issue I have with Dropbox is that all of their employees have the private key to the data of their customers. And it's part of how they do the dedupe process, too. Right. Yeah, that's a problem, and that could have HIPAA implications, possibly. Uh, plus, it's extremely expensive. Now, Dropbox does have a, a service mm-hmm. to, to meet HIPAA compliance, but it's kind of backwards on how you do it. Like, you got to sign stuff and mail it off to them, and it's a process to get HIPAA compliance with Dropbox. So, and There's not- that aspect to it, but... And I'm not trying to I'm not trying to, to make this into an, an ultra speed sales app, but one of the things that we do, and I think we do it really well, is we provide C files as a service. So we've taken the C file client. Now we've branded it up, and we put a lot of marketing lingo in there to make it appealing to people that you don't call care. it Alti Sync. What do you call it? Uh, I think we call it File Sync Pro or something like oh, the File Sync Pro. Or so, some, something like there's some goofy name, right? I would call it Noah Sync. <laughs> Wouldn't that be funny? Yeah, that'd be good. But the uh, <laughs> Noah Sync, and if you have questions, ask Noah. Yeah. <laughs> So we branded up a little bit, but but under the look at the underpinnings, it's actually just C file underneath, and uh, our clients have been extraordinarily happy with it. We've had a couple people from the the show. In fact, a couple of episodes, I gave out 
five free C-File uh, installations, and we set it up for those people. And, and Corey, if you're still on the line, I'm going to go ahead. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and put you back on hold. Alf Sarah pick up. We'll take your information, and we're going to give you a free 90-day subscription to our hosted C-File server, so you can kind of check it out and see how it works. See if that fits your needs. Now, if you like it, you can go ahead and uh, just continue to pay for the service and keep it forever, or you can go and self-host that sucker. Yeah. And like you I know said, how set it works. It up on a spare box. Yeah, right? now you know how it works. That's a great idea. Yeah. That's a good way to do it. Again, phone lines one eight five five four five zero Noah. That's eight five five four five zero six six two four. The email live at asknoahshow.com. As we wind down the program here at scale, uh, we'll give you a, a look at coming uh, what's coming up the rest of the week. Um, so tomorrow I'm gonna be here and might have a chance to chat with some of the Red Hat folks. I know they wanted uh, to talk. We also have a guest, uh, a viewer, a listener of the show, actually had called in with a question and I had a chance to meet him. He is a chef expert. Yeah. So I've had a lot of people write into right. the show and they have asked, they've said, Noah, I want to know how to do uh, managed infrastructure where we can automate that stuff, script those things. Yes. So we're going to bring him on and he's going to explain to you how you can get Chef set up to work and how you can manage all of your systems with with, with Chef, which cool. is, yeah. Even and if you have a few systems, just a couple, that could be really neat. Yeah, uh, even just to play with it. Yeah. Right, so he's coming up on the show. Thank you very much to all of the people that helped me reach out to the Bylar folks over at the BBC. I've now gotten in contact with them. Oh, cool. And we are discussing bringing them onto the program. Uh, they are they have some concerns about what they want, uh, what they're allowed to disclose publicly. And basically huh. what I said to them is, I, I just want to hear it from you guys. I, I'll even tell you what I was able to find publicly, and you can just parrot that back if you want. I just, I just think it's such a cool thing and yeah. such a cool effort, and it's all being done on Linux. Yeah. And it's such a cutting-edge thing that literally no other operating system is capable of doing. This is what you talked about last week, right? Right. Yeah, the, a little bit. We talked mm. about encoding audio packets over yeah. IP and stuff like that, and you and I talked about it extensively all the time, so yeah. at lunch. Right, yeah. yeah. It's so, a really cool project, and the BBC is doing it, which is so neat. Right. And it's all Linux. So those guys are coming up. Also, I know that the audience here kind of tends to cross over a little bit with the independent audience and the and the freedom-seeking audience. And so I don't want to give away too much because it's not quite in the bag yet. But I have reached out to another gentleman that I think is going to be a fantastic interview on the show. And so we will hopefully be able to schedule him here as well. But I think for sure you can expect to hear from Red Hat. Um, we also we didn't have time to air it today, but we also have... Uh, an interview from the folks at VLC. Oh, yeah. So that, that will be coming up. And they're doing some really cool things. They also partnered with um, the uh, with uh, Katie, Kubuntu. Kubuntu to be the default player. Yeah. Uh, the default media For player. For 1804. Which yeah, is interesting great. because, you know, and, and I'm a bit removed because so I'm on Neon, so I don't have any default media player. I have whatever I decided to I've been to using install. Dragon Player, by the way. Really? Yeah. What's Dragon? Is that different from MPV? It's like MPV, but with a cute wrapper, and uh, it supports file resuming, so it remembers where you left off in all your videos by default. It's nice. It's got a good full screen mode. I like it. It's fast. Launches okay. really fast. You know, the other thing is, and we, we have this fixed now, we had an issue with our website last week, and so asknoshow.com slash elimination for our distro elimination challenge. Oh, yeah. quite working. I'm uh -oh. really sorry. We got it fixed now. Okay. I, I find somebody. I, I would like to throw somebody under the bus, but literally the guy that's that's working on it is like you because it was it was my fault. <laughs> and he said he's like, don't you dare throw me under the bus. And I'm like, I will own it. So it was my fault, but it's fixed now. I'm told. Good. So it should be good. So go over there, check that out, and make sure to vote. There's We're, a vote going on right now. There is. Uh, I believe. You don't remember. I don't want to say because I don't remember. Yeah. But yeah, go check it out, and you can make your vote. Uh, uh, NixOS versus something. I, I know that was one of them. Okay. So if you have a, if you have a, an opinion on on an operating system, which one you'd choose. And we're getting down to the bottom of the first round, so we're about mm -hmm. to enter into the second round of, of distro elimination. And I had a chance to speak with the System76 folks about Pop! OS, yeah. and so we'll have some of that coming up. Yeah. I did a little uh, coverage of their talk uh, on Tech Talk Today, techtalk.today, to check that out. So talk, uh, talk to me about I know we had you on the, sh yeah. uh, on the program to talk a yeah. little bit. How's that going? It's, I've, I've really been having a lot of fun. I think I've done three or four episodes, maybe three episodes from the road. And uh, I got the first and second day of scale published. The first day, System76 gave a really strong talk about mm -hmm. their position on the whole Pop! OS thing. So this program's an hour long, and you know we've covered two interviews, and you and I are chatting back and forth. But if you want very concise coverage, if you just want to get like almost like the you story walk into of the a day, restaurant really. and you get the appetizer, yeah, that true. is, I mean, that yeah. really feels it's like, like the top today. story of the day from scale for the last couple episodes. Yep, techtalk.today. And that's going to continue on for another five episodes, four episodes, five yeah, episodes. Yeah, we're getting like. close to the end of the first season. Excellent. Mm -hmm. So, people want that to continue. They better. They better let me know. Yeah, they better let you know. <laughs> hey guys, did you know this ep this show is available as a downloadable podcast? That's right. To subscribe to the feed or download the latest episode, visit podcast.asknoahshow.com. 
While you're on the Ask Noah dashboard, help us improve the show. If you have an idea on how you can make this show better, we'd love to hear from you. Head over to asknoahshow.com slash better and let us know how we can make this show better. Join the ongoing Telegram discussion, telegram.asknoahshow.com. And, of course, you can get the latest information by following us on Twitter at AskNoahShow. The Ask Noah Show continues next Tuesday at 6 p.m. Central. Huge thanks to Vox Telsus for providing our phone systems, Ben, our producer, and Sarah, our call screener, and Rakai, our video editor. We'll hand you off to the, I don't know what's coming up next, on KEQQ 88.3 FM, Red Forks. Yeah.